Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> Great to see you today, Stonegate Gathering number two. So thanks for uh, making the journey and, uh, and jumping in here with us. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and flip to 1 Samuel chapter 14. That's where we're going to be hanging out today, 1 Samuel 14. Um, it's going to take us just a few minutes to get there, though. And so let me, let me just throw out to you, just so you'll know kind of the preaching schedule for the fall, this is the game plan that we've got over the next few months. We're going to spend another three or four weeks in this series that we've, we started last week called Advance, where we're talking about moving the mission of God forward, advancing the, the, the glory of God on, on this planet. And so we're talking about that for another three or four weeks, and here's the reason that I think it's really important that we start there. I think you're going to get to see a great glimpse of what we are and what we want to be here. And so I think it's going to be a really good time for you to be able to wade through some of that and kind of think through some of that with us. And then we are going to tear into some of the book of Acts. And I think it's going to be a great launching point for us to start to define for you, like this is what we want to be as a church. So we're going to look at Acts and kind of help that be our picture of what we want to become and what we want this place to be um, for you and for the kingdom of God um, in this area. And so that's kind of the schedule. So that's where we're going to be hanging kind of through basically most of the fall, um, all the way through uh, to Christmas. And so with that said, I am 30 years old, or young, however you determine that, I don't know. Um, but, but here is just probably a growing awareness of life for me. Over the last few years, there's been several, I just call them the facts of life, that have just begun to just weigh down over me, that, that started to grow in me some great resolve for some good things. And, and so here would be the first one. Um, and, and this sounds really simple, and, and I can't even say it in a way that conveys the weight of it. You know, it's one of those sort of statements. So when I say a statement like, life is short, that statement means and weighs so much more than three or four or five words. I mean, the Bible's going to compare your life and my life to a flower in Psalms 103. Okay, now that brings a little bit of humility into the equation, especially for a guy when you're starting to get compared to pansies and daisies. Okay, so that, I mean, there, there's some humility that follows that. But literally, it's going to tell you that um, you're going to spring up, the wind's going to blow over it, you're going to die, and your place is going to remember it no more. Like, if I were to go in this room and we were to say, um, can you remember your dad? Most of you would say, yes, I can remember, I know my dad. If I were to say, okay, can you give me a grandpa or a grandma? Most of us could go there. A great-grandma, great-grandpa, most of you could give me names there. If we are to go four generations back, those names get to be a little bit harder to recall. Five generations, there's probably not but a few that could do that in here. And here's what the Bible's saying. You have got such a short window in this thing. You, you are like a flower in the field. You're going to spring up. You're going to grow. You're going to look beautiful. You've got your chance to shine. The wind's going to blow, and you're gone. And James is going to say, you are a vapor. You are breathed out. You're seen, and in an instant, it's past. And so this was really the point of last week. We kind of laid out the story of God, and here's kind of the, the end punch in that, is that you have got one page to write in the story of God. It's when God gives you the script and says, you write your story. You have got four seconds in the narrative of God to make his name great. Jump in. Your life is so short. Um, last Tuesday, I got this call. I said, we're going to meet at this guy's house, and we're going to be praying for Big John Brown. And now Big John Brown, to me, like he... He's a guy at the church that I came from, and he is one of those guys that I look at, and I'm like, if I could be 60 in him, I would sign up for that. 
He's a 6'6", a huge, just a mammoth of a guy, and he's got the sweetest spirit that you've ever seen. Like, he's that guy that, like, I'll go and shake his hand on a Sunday morning, and then he'll kind of wink at me and say, I know the kids need something, and I take my hand off, and there's a $100 bill there. I'm like, thanks, Big John. We'll send a kid to camp or do something with it. And so he's just that guy, you know? And so I get to the house, and I, I'm still not exactly sure what the problem is. And uh, come to find out, he found out last week that he's got a brain tumor. You know, in moments like that, I mean, we could go across the room for moments like that, you know? But in moments like that, I think the Holy Spirit reacquaints us to the fact that we live in a fallen world. And so we sat there and prayed over Big John. He's going to have surgery on the 11th of September. But that moment just reaffirmed for me how unpredictable life is. Wouldn't you agree? A week ago Saturday, I'm having lunch with a college student, or breakfast with a college student. Breakfast is a rare thing with a college student, so I took advantage of it. And so uh, I'm having breakfast with him, and he got a call the, the week before. His cousin was driving down a Canadian highway, and a moose was in the road at night. And, and moose are one of the only animals that their eyes don't reflect, like when, you're, when your headlights hit them. And so he runs straight into this moose, instantly kills him. A 19-year-old boy just graduated high school. We live in an unpredictable world. It takes so little to stop your heart and my heart, you know? So with these whispers of life is so short, life is so unpredictable, this resolve just continues to kind of grow in me. And here would be the third one. It's not only short, it's not only unpredictable, but you only get one shot to live your life. You have got one shot at life. I'm just convinced that I'm not going to come back as a cow. I, go ahead, eat the meat. Like, it's not me, okay? It's, it's cool. You can do it. Go for it. Um, so I'm convinced that reincarnation is not the deal. Like Hebrews 9.27 is going to say that it's appointed for a man to live once, to die, and to face judgment. Okay, so that's the deal. You have got one shot to live this unpredictable, short life that God has given you. You have got one shot to make your mark in eternity. You have got one shot, no mulligans, no makeups, no do-overs, one shot to live your life well for the glory of God. Now here is the truth that I've seen over and over, observed this all throughout my life, people that I love and care for. Over and over again, I watch people waste their four seconds in the story ravishing themselves at the end of the day things that leave them empty and so with all that this resolve continues to grow Rodney take advantage do not waste your four seconds your part of the narrative do not waste it and if I could just plead with you one thing this morning it would be that don't waste your shot in the story your life is too valuable, and it's too unpredictable, it's too short, and you only get one shot at it. Don't waste your page in the narrative. And I'm going to ring this bell as long as I live, as long as I preach, and as long as I do ministry in this area, that you live in the most dangerous place for a Christian to live. Not because tomorrow you're going to get killed for your faith. Probably not going to happen. Persecution is not our biggest enemy in this area. But here is your enemy in Bible Belt world, seduction. Because we live in an area, in a place of the country, that everybody claims the name of Jesus. Who doesn't? 
Just go in your neighborhood and start asking Jesus questions. Everybody amens those things. And so everybody claims the name of Jesus, but those people claiming the name of Jesus will gladly trade a joyful pursuit of Jesus for a nice, safe, secure, suburban life. When Jesus is pleading and beckoning us, live for something more. And so here's where that puts us in Bible Belt world. If you're going to describe Christianity, just Jesus, faith, for most men, I think this is what it would be described as. Boring. Okay, we're following Jesus. We do the church thing. We do all this stuff. But it's boring. Okay, now let me illustrate why I think that is. And this is how I illustrated this the other day. Um, Parenting, I've got a little two, almost two-year-old, and another one on the way. And so with that, it's a little girl, or she's a little girl, not it, she. Um, she's a little girl. And, and I tell you, God just continues to prune me in this thing, teaches me all sorts of things about me as we parent. And, and so here's the funniest thing for me to watch, though. You turn Hannah in the backyard with the Jacksons, little boys. They've got two little boys. Okay, you've got two little boys, little girl. Turn them in the backyard. Throw just a set of Nerf balls out there. And just see what happens, okay? So here's what happens when the boys get a hold of them. Instantly, it becomes a battlefield, right? I mean, you've got grenades being lobbed over the swing set. You've got swords being thrown across. Like you've got, I mean, it's a battlefield. Instantly happens there. You get Hannah out there. She grabs the Nerf ball, and it becomes into this beautiful little doll. Somehow it grows this hair. It's got a name to it. She'll come over. She'll kiss it for you. She'll hold it out for you. Make sure you kiss it once. I mean, this whole different scenario plays out, right? Okay, so I think in that you see God's design. Let me just talk to men for just a second. You see God's design for men, and our problem is men. God's design for men is to build and to conquer. But you've got men playing with dolls. I mean, we're not doing anything. Okay, so so here's why I think we're bored. God's created us to build and conquer, to do something great for the glory of God. And so few men, let me just talk men, so few men are attempting something great for God's name. So few. Here's the question I love to ask people. What do you have going on in life right now that's bigger than you? What great attempt is in front of you? What is in front of you that if it's accomplished, only God could get the credit for that thing? That that it's so big that if it goes down, only God gets that kind of glory. What do you have in front of you like that? What's going on in life that's that big, that that's important? That's saturated with the glory of God. And just over and over again, it breaks my heart because so few have that. So here's the aim for this morning. This, This is the deal for this morning. I'm going to plead with you to, to throw your life in to a great attempt for the glory of God. I mean, I'm going to plead with you to throw everything you are, everything you have, your finances, your life, everything in to a great attempt for the glory of God, for the renown of God, for the fame of God, to live your four seconds in the story well. 1 Samuel 14 is the context. And, and here's what's going on. You've got the people of Israel. They are ready to go to battle. But here's the problem. 
they're going to battle against the Philistines, and the Philistines, the Bible's going to say this about them. They have like 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and then this is what it's going to say about their, just their infantry, their troops. They're as numerous as the sand of the seashore. Now, if you've ever been to the beach, that's a lot of sand. So I don't know how many, how many people we're talking here, but the, the Bible's wanting to make it real clear. The Israelites are way outnumbered. The Israelites have 600 men. So you've got 600 against the sand of the seashore. I mean, this is not a good day. Now, to make matters worse, not only are they outnumbered, but the Israelite army has two swords. The Philistine army has all the weapons. They have all the swords. And so not only are, are you outnumbered, but you're throwing punches against a guy with a sword. That's not a good day. You're getting the arm chopped off real soon. Okay, so, so that's the setting. And you've got the people of Israel, 600 of them. It's going to say this about him, that literally they are hiding in caves, waiting for this thing to go down. Okay, that's where you pick it up in 1 Samuel 14. Verse 1 says this. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father... Saul was staying on the outskirts of Abia under a pomegranate tree in Magron. With him were about 600 men. Okay, so I think this is what's going on here. God has designed you and I. Ephesians 2.10. He's designed us for great attempts for the glory of God. There's 600 men literally sitting there hiding in caves waiting to die. And one man steps out. One man jumps into the fray. One man throws his life on the line and says, okay, let's do it. Every great attempt for the glory of God begins with great initiative. Every great attempt for the glory of God begins with great initiative. Initiative is the first step. Initiative is the opening move. Initiative is, I'm going to walk out of where I am to something else. Initiative is that opening step, first move. Okay, so every great act in history, every great act, you just go down the list of great acts in history. All of them started with a first step. All of them started with initiative. Every great act in history had one step that started it. Um, I've got this book here. It's called Don't Waste Your Life by a guy named John Piper. Highly recommend it. I think it would be a great blessing for you. Even if you hate to read, even if you hate to read, there's a $5 gift card to Starbucks right there. I'm going to put this book right here. Anybody that wants it, it's your book. All you have to do is come grab it. Um, okay, so every great attempt begins with great initiative. Every great attempt does. It starts with an opening move. That's how, that's how these things roll out. One move. Okay, so this is how, um, one of my favorite stories. Laura and I, don't hold this against me, please, graduated from the University of Oklahoma. We've got two fans. Okay, great. I'm just glad we didn't get any boots. I, I consider that a, a plus right there. Okay, so um, one of the little things we did, B.C., before children, was uh, we went to bowl games. We, we really enjoyed going to, like, OU was in some, some, several really big bowl games. We got to go to the Rose Bowl, saw Mr. Rogers there. He was kind of the parade captain that year. Um, the next year, we got to go to LSU, or to, to New Orleans, and the Sugar Bowl, and watch OU play LSU in a national championship game. And we went down there with another couple, and this is kind of the couple that they are the, let's just go figure something out down there. 
We don't really need a plan. We don't really need tickets. We'll just go get tickets somehow. And so we go to New Orleans, go to the Sugar Bowl, and we're trying to find tickets to this game. And we get down there, and these tickets were face value, maybe a couple hundred dollars. They're going for like a thousand bucks a piece. I'm a youth minister at the time. Come on. Like, this is not going to be happening here. And so we are bummed out. Like, we've driven down there. We can't find a ticket. It's like an hour before the game now. We start going to plan B, C, D, Z down here, and none of them are happening. Like, we're like, okay, let's find a hotel. We'll watch it there. Hotels are sold out. You can't find a hotel to watch a game in. You couldn't get into any restaurant, any place to see this game. We go into sort of this pout mode. Oh, no. We've got a problem. We are about to be in our car listening to the radio in New Orleans to the national championship game. Okay, so we have this last-ditch effort. We're going to go up to the front gate and just kind of see what happens. So it's 15 minutes before kickoff. 15 minutes before the gates. I mean, this is game time right now. We walk up there, and we're just looking like the poor dog that's just kind of looking for a scrap. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a guy walks up with an envelope walks straight up to me. I look in that envelope. That's an envelope full of tickets. He looks at me and says, would you like a ticket to this game? I've got three other friends. We would love four tickets to this game. He looks at my shirt. He's got an LSU shirt on. I've got an OU shirt on. I'm not going to give it to you. Wow, pull that dagger out. Another guy walks up to Laura, envelope full of tickets. Four tickets to Laura, we walk into the national championship game for free. Okay, so let me make an obvious point here. If we had have gone back to the truck, cried a little bit, turned on the radio, and listened to the game, those tickets weren't going to appear. They appeared because of initiative. Okay, so I am all about the providence of God, God governing the affairs of men and women. But let me tell you how God providentially works. God providentially intersects his activity with our initiative. Okay, so, so here's the deal. Attempt something great for the glory of God. So here's what just happened a second ago. I threw a book out here on the stage, and it would have been hilarious to see what goes on inside of minds when you do something like that. Because here's what I think happens. Um, he just said, come get the book. What do people normally just walk up to a stage in the middle of a service? I mean, isn't normally what happens. My husband would probably kill me if I just got up right now. What would my wife think about just walking up and grabbing a... Okay, and... In the middle of all that happening, Connor, I think it was, walks up, gets the book, is going to enjoy some coffee this week. Initiative. It's an opening step. While we are waiting on something to happen, it's the opening step to accomplish something. Okay, so I wish we could see behind the scenes here, because I think this is what, um, I, I think this is what you would see in between the lines of 1 Samuel 14. Everybody is scared to death. Everybody is waiting for the Philistine army to come over and literally just pillage them. Everybody is waiting to die. Sounds like modern retirement to me. Waiting to die when one man jumps out. Can you imagine what's going on in Jonathan's mind? My wife is going to kill me. I've got kids. Um, There's 30,000 of them. There's one of me. How's this going to work? All that is silenced. All the fear is gone. And he makes his opening move. Let me ask you this question. 
what would you do right now if you didn't fear anything? And how much different would life be if you lived in that? Attempt something great for the glory of God, and that attempt begins with great initiative. Okay, so, so when I say take initiative in something, just do something for the glory of God that's going to make him proud, that's going to extend his glory. That looks completely different from all of us across this room. We all have different passions, abilities, giftings. When I say attempt something great, some of you think this, I need to get on a plane tomorrow and go to Indonesia. They don't have the gospel there. Others of you think my neighborhood. Other you, others of you are thinking, okay, my workplace. The gospel's got to get there. All I'm saying is this, wherever that initiative takes you, run with it. Do something great for the glory of God. Every great attempt for the glory of God starts with great initiative. Let's keep rolling. Skip on down to verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. I'm going to read that one more time. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. All 36,000 plus the sand of the seashore, number of them. Let us go over. Perhaps, maybe, we'll see what happens. The Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And this is my favorite guy in the story. Look at verse 7. Look at this armor bearer. This guy deserves a gold medallion or something. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Great attempts not only begin with great initiative, great attempts for the glory of God will always, always require risk. And we're going to talk about this a lot more next week, but can you imagine what would have happened to history if Moses would have leaned his life into safety rather than risk? Can you imagine if Paul would have leaned his life towards safety and security rather than risk? Okay, let me ask you the question. Can you imagine how much different your life is going to be if you lean your life into safety and security as opposed to risk? As opposed to a great attempt for the glory of God? Can you imagine how much different it will be? The people who have great stories at the end of their life to pass down to their family are the people who lean into great risk for the kingdom's sake. It's those people who have those stories. Okay, so here's, what, here's the thing with Jonathan. Jonathan knew what he needed to know. Okay, so Jonathan, he knew this. Look at verse uh, 6. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So Jonathan knew, listen, God can save me here. This is not beyond God's power. This isn't beyond God's strength. I mean, Jonathan's singing with Jeremiah that, that the Lord is sovereign, that he created the heavens and the earth, that nothing is too powerful for him. Nothing is too big for him. Okay, so he, I mean, he's repeating that. He's singing that with the prophets. Okay, so Jonathan knew what he needed to know. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. But there's also something Jonathan didn't know. Like there's a part of this thing that Jonathan was completely unsure about. Okay, look at verse, uh, or come on down there. It says this, perhaps the Lord will work for us. A.K.A. 
maybe he will. AKA, we're going to go try this. We might get smashed. AKA, we're going to go try this and we might get killed. 36,000 of them may run us smooth over. Perhaps the Lord will work for it. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, can you see the risk just kind of built into that? We know the Lord can save. Perhaps he will work for us. Okay, so here, here's, I think, our problem with all this. When it comes to risk, here's what we want from God. We want God to promise us that our lives will not be touched. When in reality, here's the promise of God. You lean into risk, a great attempt for my name, and I'll promise you that your life won't be wasted. You see the difference in that? God's promise, your life won't be wasted. Our want, God, don't touch it. One of my favorite stories, I just kind of brushed up on this this last week. I mean, my heart has just busted as I've read it this week. His name is Adoniram Judson. And here's how this story goes. He and his wife go to Burma. Okay, so they're on their way to Burma. Everybody's trying to convince them not to go. Um, William Carey, just a mammoth in kind of mission circles, um, William Carey tells them, listen, you are crazy if you go. Burma is not a good place to go. Everybody that's been there has either been thrown out of the country or killed. Burma, you, chances are this is not going to go well for you. Maybe you should pick another country. It would be considered today a closed country. In other words, it's a country that they're not, there's no invitations for people to come into those. There's not like an invitation on your doorstep. Hey, we would love to get the gospel in here. Why don't you come on? That's not what's happening here. So Judson, he feels, he and his wife feel this conviction. We've got to get the gospel to people who do not have it. And they go. 1813, they get to Burma. In 1819, six years later, six years later, their first convert. Not six weeks Not six months, not six days, six minutes, six years laboring in Burma. Convert number one. We get mad six minutes in the drive-thru. Six years. Convert number one. 1819. In 1831, 18 years later, the Holy Spirit finally starts to move in Burma. And I wanted to read this quote to you. This is 18 years of labor to get to this point. And this is what he says. The spirit of inquiry, of questioning, is spreading everywhere through the whole length and breadth of the land. We have distributed nearly 10,000 tracts, giving to none but those who ask. Some come two or three months' journey from the borders of Siam or China. And they're saying this, Sir, we hear there is an eternal hell. We are afraid of it. Do give us anything or any writing that will tell us how to escape it. Others from the frontiers of Cathay, 100 miles north of Ava. Sir, we have seen a writing that tells about an eternal God. Are you the man that gives away such things? If so, give us one, for we want to know the truth before we die. Others from the interior of the country where the name of Jesus is little known. Are you Jesus Christ's man? 18 years of labor, finally. Are you Jesus Christ's man? Give us a writing that tells us about Jesus. 18 years later, the Holy Spirit sweeps through Burma. Roughly 200 years later today, there are 3,700 congregations linked to Adoniram Judson's work. 600,000 members in those churches, 
Over two million believers all associated with the work of Judson 200 years ago. That is God saying, I will not waste a great attempt for my name. Okay, but but look at me right here. His life was touched. I mean, reading this this week, like I'm sitting in ABC Coffee yesterday. I'm crying reading this story. Okay, so this is how the story goes. He gets married to Anne, and you should see the letter he writes Anne's dad's for proposal. I mean, it sounded like this. Are you willing to let go of your daughter knowing she's going to a foreign land for the sake of the gospel, knowing she's going to be exposed to every sort of danger, every sort of disease? Are you willing to do that? She can make her own choice. She does. They're married on February the 12th or February the 5th. Twelve days later, they get on a boat headed to India and eventually to Burma. They get to Burma, 1813. They have three kids. All of them die before the age of two. The first one is on the journey to Burma, on the boat. They have their first kid. He's born dead. Can you feel the weight of that? I mean, that is a weight. You're in a boat going to a foreign land for the gospel's sake, and your firstborn is born without a heartbeat. They're ministering there, and number two comes along. Number two dies 17 months in. Anne later tells this story of just the gut-wrenching turmoil that that was for her. They get pregnant again, third one, with Maria. About the time she gets pregnant, Adoniram is thrown into prison because they think he's a spy. This lady, Anne, is walking two miles a day pregnant to the palace, pleading the case of her husband. About the time that she has the baby, he's moved to a remote prison in a remote part of Burma. She makes the journey to the prison, doing everything she can to make his stay just bearable. In the middle of that, this baby's born now. Maria is on the ground. Her her breast milk dries up. She is pleading with people in villages to feed her baby for her. 17 months into prison, he's released. By this time, Anne is so broken down and so frail, a few months later, she dies. His wife dies. Six months later, Maria dies. His life was touched. He marries again, has eight kids by his next um, wife. Three of them die in childhood. Eleven years into the second marriage, she dies. As he, he's 61 year old when he dies. He gets a sickness. He can't overcome it. And as he is kind of on his deathbed, he makes this statement that few there are who have died so hard. And reading that story, I agree. I mean, I'm crying and ABC coffee just, I mean, my heart is busting for this guy. A great attempt for the glory of God. His life was not wasted. 3,700 churches linked to that today. Over 2 million believers linked to that. But his life was touched. And I'm just saying this, that is the sort of risk that God is calling us to move into. That is the sort of risk that is required for great attempts for the glory of God. 
Safety is not God's design for us. Security is not God's design for us. A great attempt for the glory of God is God's design for you and for me. Not safety. Jonathan and I think Adoniram and all the saints who have attempted great things for God know this. It's not about how long you live. It's about how well you live. It's about leveraging your life for God's fame in your four-second window. Okay, we're going to close it up here. Every great attempt for the glory of God takes initiative. It takes risk. And here's number three. It takes, at the end of the day, it takes advancement. It takes us walking toward it, running toward it. Look at verse 8. Jonathan said, Come then, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. He finally kind of gets to this decision point. Um, I'm doing it. I'm in. I'm crossing over, and we're going to let them see us. Now, now I'm not a military, military strategist, but I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say the strategy of me, or us two, me, you, armor bear, against a bazillion of them, the best strategy is probably not, hey, let's walk over in plain daylight and wave at them. Let's make sure they see us here. I, I'm just guessing that's not the best strategy. I mean, I would probably be much more inclined to let's get them while they're sleeping. They're Philistines. Let's get them while they're drunk. Um, I mean, let's slap them and run. I mean, anything, but let's just walk over and let them see us and and go from there. I mean, that's got to be the worst plan ever. Okay, but look at what it says here. Let me read this again. Jonathan said, come then. We will cross over toward the men and let them see us. Okay, with every great attempt, there has got to be a time when you step out of the shadows and make it known to the world, this is the direction that we're going. We're we're not playing anymore. We don't have, like, we're not playing the limbo thing. We don't have a foot in both sides. This is the direction that we're marching. This is where we're going. Verse 9, if they say to us, wait there until we come to you. I mean, listen to the plan here. Wait there until we come to you. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord God has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes that that they're hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer. This is 3,000 year old trash talking at its finest right here. Come up to us. And we'll teach you a lesson. I'm pretty sure he's not pulling out the chalkboard, breaking out the geometry book here. Next phrase. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Really? That's how that goes down? I mean, there's 36,000 and more of them. They say, come up to us. And God's given them into our hand. I mean, is that really how the story works? Okay, I I love, like, looking at Jonathan's decision-making here. I I think this is what it would sound like if it was you and I. Okay, God, I'm in for this, but here's what I need to see. God, I need, uh, I'm going to open up the window. When I open up the blinds, here's what needs to happen. I need to see about three shooting stars 
and make sure the rest of the stars are kind of aligned in a nice 30-degree angle, kind of with a nice R shape. And if I see that when I open the, the window, God, I'm in. I'm so, I, I guess it wasn't you. I guess I'm out on this deal. But listen to Jonathan's decision-making. Okay, God, I'm going to open up the window, and if they say, come up, we're going to kill you, I'm in. I mean, his, his decision-making reference was, is it risky? Is it dangerous? Is it a great attempt for the glory of God? And if it is, then I am in with both feet, and I'm going to run after it. I am in for it. Okay, look at the next little part here. Verse 13, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet, and with his armor bearer right behind him, the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind them. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of a half an acre. Then look at this. The, then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and the field, and those in the outpost, the raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. There wasn't an invitation into this. There wasn't a, from the Philistines, hey, Jonathan, come and destroy us. There wasn't any of that. There was great initiative, risk, and advancement. And then look at the end game in verse 23. So the Lord rescued Israel that day, and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Isn't that a beautiful picture of a guy that is risking all, and a great and glorious God able to save doing it? And here's the way to this for me, and then and we'll kind of wrap this up. Um, about five months ago, I'm sitting having lunch with my former pastor. And out of nowhere, he says, what about planting you in Midlothian? Okay. Is it risky? Is he going to lean us in to sacrifice? Is he going to lean us into initiative and to advancement? We're in. Okay, at that moment for me, it, it was like a watershed moment for me. Walking away from all this security and walking straight in to an unst- a little baby, basically. And, and can I just tell you this, just from my perspective, for Laura and I, we have never felt more alive than in those moments. And it's been so encouraging and fun for us to see a crew of people. I, this is, I think this would be the expression that, that I would use to describe how, how I felt the last three or four months. That I've got my sword in one hand like Jonathan and the flag of Jesus in the other. And I'm looking up at Jesus saying, God, I know you are able to do this. But if you don't do it, we're about to get killed. We are going to get smashed. And this is what has been so fun for us to watch. A crew of people hold up the sword in one hand and the flag in the other and say the same thing with us. God, we know you are able to do this, but if you don't, we're doomed. It's been such a blessing for us to watch that in the lives of other people because here, here's what I, I think the, the, the sense that God's given me in this is that this is what you're created for. You're created for moves like this. You're created for advancements like this. You're not created for security. You're not created to coast and to get into a complacent sort of a mindset and a complacent routine. You're created to advance the kingdom of God. Okay. This is the end question. 
Are you personally attempting something great for the name of Jesus? Personally. What's big in front of you? That if, that if it happens, only God could get the glory. Would you bow your head with me? My, my fear in, in kind of a message like this and a talk like this is that I think there's a real tendency um, for it to be vague enough that you can slide right from underneath it. So I, I don't want that to happen this morning. And so I, I don't want you to think that a great attempt means that I've got to get on a plane and go somewhere. It doesn't mean that. Great attempts happen in this environment too. Great attempts for the glory of God happen in Midlothian. They happen in this area. They happen in your neighborhood. They happen in your family. Great attempts happen in your environments. So let me ask you, do you have something in front of you that when you get out of bed in the morning, you think that's worth it? That is worth running after. That is what's going after. And so as we sing and as we, um, as we just respond appropriately this morning, I, I want you to try to discern what, what sort of a great attempt is God wanting me to lean into? What sort of a great attempt is God calling me to make? That could be in your neighborhood. That could be in your workplace. That could be in the midst of your family. It could be in the context of this church. What great attempt is God calling you to run after? I mean, that could be, it could be as simple as God is calling me to jump in both feet into this body. God is calling me to share my faith. 95% of Christians never personally share their faith. There's a problem with that. So maybe it's God calling you into that, leading you into that. What sort of a great attempt for the glory of God is God moving you to? Don't allow your life to settle into mediocrity and complacency. It's not designed for that. It will suck the life out of you if you let it go on. So as we sing, on the, maybe the back of your bulletins where you can take notes, maybe it would be a great opportunity for you to write down that attempt. This is something that God is leading me toward. This is an attempt that I think would be God-honoring. And then before, maybe before tonight, before you lay your head on your pillow tonight, you need to vocalize that with at least one person. This is a God-honoring attempt that I think God would lead me toward. Help me in this. Don't allow me to settle back from it. So God, will you give us that? God, will you, will you lay over this body of people? God, will you help us as Stonegate Church nettle to, never to settle, never to step back, but to always be pushing forward, to always be about moving your mission forward, advancing your mission. God, we just commit this group of people to that. That is who we are. That's what we want to be for your name's sake. God, and I pray individually 
that you would lay great God-just-drenched dreams on our hearts, God-saturated ambitions in us. God, I pray that we would not be able to sleep until they start to become who we are and what we're about. So as we sing, this is your time to respond. You can come up with your family if you like. You can use these altars and these stages as, um, as a place to pray. You can do that in your seat if you like. But I'm going to ask you to do this. Think through God-saturated dreams for you. God, we pray that in your great and glorious name. Amen. Why don't you-